we're going to begin a new series uh, today, and uh, I enjoy preaching series because it gives us some continuity and understanding for the congregation to know what to expect from week to week. Um, for years, I sat under a pastor that we really didn't know what he was going to preach on from week to week, and it was rather random in their approach to how information was shared. But I like the idea of continuity, so you have an idea what to expect and uh, what you can come prepared to, to learn and to grow from. Um, again, it's, it's a pleasure being here, and it's a joy to be able to share God's Word with you today. So this title of the series that we're going to, to bring over this next few weeks is called The Flight the flight of fools, okay? Now, when we think of the word flight, I'm mindful of Kim and uh, her efforts this last year of bringing hummingbirds to our home. Uh, we have two hummingbird feeders, and so consistently all summer long, she's been changing the food and, and the fluid and wanting to invite these birds to be a part of our lives, and we look out the window and see them, but they haven't been coming. That we've just been trying and trying, and she's just been putting forth the effort to, to maybe lure these birds in that we would enjoy. But finally, they started coming. And so now we have a couple of birds that are flying around our house and having a good time. Now, what's interesting about this word flight of the fools, it means, gives us the idea of, of leaving someplace to go somewhere else. Now, Kim and I noticed yesterday that our neighbor's cat is in our front yard keeping an eye on our hummingbird feeders. And the cat's name is Pickles. Okay? And so Pickles was out there watching the hummingbirds come and go, and when the birds would see Pickles, they would just take off, you know, as birds would normally do. But I want to remind everybody today, you know, this idea of, of flight is an act of self-directing and distancing ourselves from someplace else. And so we're going to see the conflict between foolishness and wisdom. Um, this conflict is an effort for us to understand significance and meaning. So when we think about wisdom, it's a properly evaluating circumstances and making godly decisions. Wisdom is the art of being successful, of forming a correct plan to gain a desired result. So let's talk about wisdom for a minute. I'm going to give you three things. There's three basic understandings of what wisdom is all about. There have been volumes of information through the centuries of different ideas of what wisdom is. But basically, I'll give you three understandings. Number one, it's being successful. This is a secular point of view about wisdom. It's learning how to succeed in life. It's using the worldly systems that are in place to find success. It's understanding what is put upon us for us to find uh, uh, wisdom in, se in the secular sense. The second is more philosophical. It's the study of the essence of life. It deals with the secular effort to ponder the inner working of time, life, events, and outcomes. So that's basically two, and they really not have anything to do with God, but more of human existence. Now the third element that we see this morning is the core of wisdom is spiritual. It is life, thought, and reality rooted in God. Proverbs. Let's look at this. Proverbs 2.6 says this. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Well, let's talk about foolishness right now. A fool. A fool is someone lacking judgment and common understanding. My brother, or excuse me, my grandfather did not have a very high regard for his brother, Woodrow. Now, Woodrow was a very intelligent individual. 
He was a commander in a ship during World War II in the South Pacific, and he eventually became a professor at the University of Washington. But my grandfather had a phrase for Uncle Woodrow. He called him an educated fool. And so the understanding in all this is that we can gain wisdom in life, but it's not learned through our colleges. It's not learned through our schools. It's learned through life experience. And so someone who is lacking judgment or common understanding. The second is someone who's made to look foolish. That person has made some wrong decisions, or there is a circumstance in life that identified this person as not being very wise. And the third understanding is someone who's marked with being unwise. Someone who can't be trusted with the deeper meaning and the significance of life. And we do have a scripture for this too. It's Proverbs 1 7. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we see the differences between the two. But thinking about this, foolishness is a huge topic. I mean, we're going to just scratch the surface. How can you cover a topic of foolishness, even in a sermon series? You've probably heard that phrase, um, have you eaten elephant? Well, you know, it's one bite at a time. How do we take the big, long journeys in life? Well, we take them one step at a time. But here we are, we're just trying to get an avenue and understanding in a very short amount of time. So the flight of the fool today, we're going to be looking at a personality found in the Old Testament by the name of Saul. And he was the king of Israel. Saul said something in 1 Samuel chapter 26 and 21 that will kind of drive our conversation today. Saul said, he's talking to David. Saul says, I've sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you again, because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I've played the fool and have committed a serious error. So, here is this king confessing his failure. So it drives us to want to understand, how did Saul come to this place? Well, we see that Saul was placed as a king of Israel. The nation demanded a king. God says, no, you do not want a king. We have what's called a theocracy. I will be your king, God says. And they said, no, we want to be like the other nations. We want someone who gives us significance. We want someone who will lead us into battle. We want someone who will lead our nation in significance. And God says, no, you don't. You want a human leader that will take from you. Take from your children to be soldiers in the army. Take from your children to be bakers, perfumers, and cooks. You're, you're going to lose your crops because you're going to have to feed this king and all that's around him, his quadri of people, those that will be directly involved. You don't want this. And they said, yes, we do. And so God determined that there would be a king. And so eventually, a man named Saul was selected. He was from the smallest tribe of Benjamin. He was recognized as being a warrior, a choice and a handsome man and a man of stature. He stood a shoulder, heads and shoulders above everybody else. He was someone who came into the room and was very charismatic and all attention would be drawn to him and saying, look at this individual. He was selected and they said, this is the man that we want. But Saul was a horrible selection for a king. 
There are several times that he presumed upon God. He was irreverent. He was deceptive. He was hesitant. He was proud and he was disobedient. There's times that he resisted God. And he lied to the people. He lied to the religious leader. He even offered an, a, a sinful offering in which the priest was the only one that was permitted to offer an offering. But Saul took that place and he made an offering himself. He made rash vows. And eventually he lost his authority to reign over the nation. And this is what Samuel said to Saul. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. And has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also the glory of Israel, which is a, a name for God, will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. So what Samuel is saying is this, you have lost your kingdom. You have lost the authority. You had an opportunity to lead the nation in righteousness. You had an opportunity to demonstrate me. You had an opportunity to lead a country. But you messed up bad. Really bad. And now it's been given to someone else. But maybe is there a chance? Maybe God will change his mind? Maybe Saul was thinking? And God says, I do not change my mind. I am not like you. So Saul lost. But he remained in that office as king as long as God was preparing David, who was his neighbor, to fill the role of the leader of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 16 tells us about how David was secretly anointed. David ended up being in the court. Now listen, this, all this information is important. Now David ended up in being in the court in the company of Saul. Because Saul had a problem. When God says, I'm going to tear away the kingdom from you, then he was left void of the spiritual influence of the Holy Spirit. And God sent a tormenting evil spirit into the life of of Saul. And when the spirit would come and torment him, he was horrible. He says, I need music. I need it just to calm my heart. And somebody in the court says, I know a guy, his name is David, who was a shepherd, the son of Jesse. He plays a harp. And he's very talented in putting music together and poetry. And so David was sent. And there was David there in the presence of Saul. So something happened. Things got complicated. The Philistines were at war with Israel. And as I preached a number of months ago, <coughs> excuse me, about this event, we discovered that the Philistines put out their champion to take what's called a representative battle. And Goliath was presented as the champion of the Philistines. And Goliath every day, twice a day, would go and taunt the army of Israel. He said this, Who are you that you think you can take on the Philistines? Goliath was very opposing, nine feet, nine inches tall. He was a walking tank. He had all the weapons that were available for war. He was formidable, and he was fearful. He would taunt the armies. And he actually would say, what about your king? You call yourself Israelites and your king is called Saul. I taunt you. I call you names. I will swear at you. I will call your God to the carpet. And the Bible says, well, what were the, what were the Israelites doing? 
And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when Saul and all the Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and afraid. They cracked under pressure. They were terrified, including Saul. What in the world was Saul doing? He was supposed to lead this nation to combat against the Philistines. But what are they doing? They're hunkering down and shuddering in, in fear of what could happen to them. And so Saul, who's this brave and glorious leader in this nation, had an idea. Let's recruit somebody who will go out there and fight for us. Keep in mind, he was supposed to be the warrior. He was the charismatic leader. He was the one that's supposed to lead the nation. And he's backing down. This man has a lot of weaknesses. And so as the story goes on, David goes to show up at this battle scene. Here's this guy, this Philistine, taunting, saying nasty things about Israel and about their God. And he says this, who is this that taunts the armies of the living God? He says, I'll fight him. Saul caught wind of that. David was brought in. Saul says, I'll give you my army. You, your, my armor, you just put it on. Now keep in mind how big this guy was. It's not going to fit this kid that's about 14 or 15 years old. And so we all know the story. David goes, goes down to a brook, a creek, a stream, and picks up stones, grabs his sling, and as the battle was ensuing, Goliath looks, and here comes David, and he looks to David and says to him, Am I a dog that you send this child with sticks? And David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of the nation Israel, and today I'm going to kill you. And do you remember how the story went? He slung that stone, he threw it, and it sunk deep into Goliath's forehead, and he died, and David beheaded him. A historic celebrating event that had taken place in the eyes of the Israelites and in front of Saul, who should have been the king. Now, there's a lot to talk about Saul and his foolishness. We could talk about his, his disobedient and rebellious attitude toward God. We could talk about his foolishness of offering an offering that he should have been doing. We could talk about his foolishness of being deceptive and how he had lied and how he was not leading and the foolishness that he didn't come through with what God had called him to do. We could talk about this, but we're going to talk about the problem that this foolish man faced. After Goliath was killed, that leads us to the scripture that tells us what took place. Look at... Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5 and following. <clears throat> it says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul sent him over the men, <coughs> set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's servants. Do you hear this? David's guy. He's the God. He's the success. All eyes are on him. Everybody appreciates him. Everybody honors him. It's all good. And Saul recognized that. Let's go on. I love it when the scripture says this. It happened. Okay, when you see that, those two words, it happened, it means, okay, there's going to be a big turning point that's going to take place. Now remember our attention's on Saul. And it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine. Who was the Philistine? Goliath. Good. 
showing the Philistine, and the women came out from all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. It's a parade. It's a party. It's a celebration. We've been liberated. The, the, the Goliath, the, the champion was killed. And the women sang as they played, and they said this. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, the Bible says. For this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and ascribed to me thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And David looked at uh, Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. <clears throat> so it would appear as David had killed Goliath, he got more credit and got more admiration from the people in the kingdom. And so as time goes on, we discover that David returned to being in the court when Saul would see him. Twice, the Bible says, he threw a spear to try to pin David against the wall. Anger. Anger took place that took him over, took over Saul. So Saul's foolishness was displayed. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says this. <clears throat> Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in a bosom of fools. So we see the foolishness of Saul was his unrestrained anger. So, where does this all go? Well, it goes to this. As David had escaped the possibility of being assassinated, he left Saul and he went into the wilderness for his life. He knew that Saul would be one who would not relent in pursuing him. Now let me tell you what's going on that kind of sets the pace for chapter 26 again. I'm giving you a whole lot of information. Let's take a breath. So Saul attacks David. David heads out. He heads to the wilderness. Saul decides that he wants to pursue him. He wanted to kill David. Because he saw David as being a threat. And more than once, twice as a matter of fact, David had opportunity to kill Saul. When Saul rallied the people to go pursue David, he rallied over 3,000 soldiers to pursue this 14-year-old boy in the woods. This is a huge move. And so the first occurrence was as they were in the wilderness and Saul was pursuing David, Saul had to relieve himself. And he went into a cave, and that cave happened to be the very cave where David was in. And David's commander said, David, here's your chance to kill Saul. And David says, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And so David snuck, as you remember, he snuck up to where Saul was, and he cut off a piece of his robe, and he held it to his heart. And so Saul finished the deed. He left the cave, David followed him at a distance, and he said, Hey Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because I would not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And Saul turned around, and David held up that piece of robe. He said, See? 
could have killed you. And Saul said basically this, you're a better man than I, I'm going home. So as time went on, this anger continued to brew in Saul's mind, in his heart. Bitterness came, frustration came again, and he determined, I'm going to try one more time. David's out in the wilderness, I'm going to hunt him down. So once again, he rallied 3,000 soldiers to hunt down a 14-year-old boy. David found out where they were camping. This is all found in uh, Samuel chapter 26. David found out where the 3,000 men were camping. And he and his general, Abishai, went to the camp. They could see from a distance how it was all arranged. They were going to wait till nightfall and come up with a plan. They came, they looked at the camp, and everybody was asleep now. It's dark. And they could see King Saul was in the center of the camp with 3,000 men surrounding him who were all asleep. And Abishai says, here's your chance. Because if you look really close, there's King Saul and right next to his head is a spear and a jug of water. Here's our chance. David says, let's not kill him. We will not raise our hand against God's anointing. I have a plan. Let's go down there and let's swipe his spear in his jug of water. And Abishai said, well, okay. So they went down and they worked their way through 3,000 sleeping men and they grabbed a spear and a jug of water and they snuck back out and they went out a ways away from the camp and David yells, hey Abner. Abner was Saul's general. Hey, Abner, you didn't do your job. You're supposed to be awake to protect Saul, your king. And in fact, if we want to hold the laws in which your king is put in place, you should die. Because you didn't protect the king. Then all of a sudden, Saul wakes up and says, David, is that your voice I hear? And David said, it is I, your servant David. Why have you come out here? Why am I such a threat? Why are you so angry with me? Yeah. Okay, shut off. That's okay, I'll just talk louder. Why are you so angry with me? Twice David says, am I like a dead dog that you're going to come out? Am I really worth all of this trouble? Am I like a flea in the, in the wilderness? If I cause this much challenge of your life? Am I like a partridge in the brush of all this timber where you can't find me, but here I am? He said, look what I have. I have your sword. I have your jug of water. I could have killed you. And this is what Saul happened to say. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, 20, excuse me, 26, verse 21. This is what he said. Sorry, I had to throw a curve. Then Saul said, Remember what David said, could have killed you. 
Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David. Come home, he says. I will not harm you again because my life was precious in your sight. And he said, Behold, I have played the fool and have committed a serious error. His error was anger. His error that we can see and ascertain from the scripture was irrational and obsessive. So we'll talk about his anger for just a moment, alright? Let's unpack Saul for just a minute. There's three foolish, unfounded motivations experienced by Saul directed to David. Three things. Number one, his anger. This is a strong emotion of displeasure and indignation that leads to bitterness. Have you ever been miffed? Have you ever been kicked off? It happened to me one time. Have you ever been so mad that you saw red? It happened to me once. It's not a pleasurable experience. It's agony. It's anguish. It's anger. It's hurtful. So the second unfounded motivation was jealousy. This is hostility directed toward a rival. Someone who's a threat. So David said, I might as well just give you the kingdom. All these women are singing praises to you. This kingdom's honoring you. You're in a place, play, place of prominence. I'm just going to give it to you. Jealousy. And envy. David envied, excuse me, Saul envied David because of the esteem and the honor that was expressed to him. He envied David because he saw the enjoyment of David's attention and support. But I want to remind us all about David in regard to Saul. Never ever did David disrespect Saul. Never did he dishonor Saul. That David was a man of integrity. If anybody had the right or privilege to be angry in this situation, it's David. Well, Saul's anger, jealousy, and envy were irrational and obsessive. His foolishness got the best of him. Now let's do let's make several assumptions here and then we'll move forward. Listen. I wonder what was going through Saul's mind. I wonder what he was thinking about, how angry he was about the circumstance, how upset he was about his role as being a king, and how it was all met with failure. His whole tenure of being a king was one of torment, anguish, failure, and destruction. And I wonder what he was thinking about. Foolishness. I think he was thinking about the missed opportunity of obedience. He had the situation, he had the resources, he had the opportunity, he had the blessing, but yet he squandered those things away. He was set up for failure. I believe there's times that we can assume because of his lack of courage that just kind of undercut him from what he could have been as a person. Maybe it's his own personal pride. I'm the king. I'm above direction. I can do what I want. Frustration. Maybe he's frustrated. Maybe he's hurt by letting David be a reminder of his failures. A symbol of what he could have been. What about shame? 
What's going through his mind that he lashed out at David? What about shame? The family disgrace. When his family looked at Saul, they must have been concerned about what direction he was going to go and what failure it was as his leadership as king. Disgrace. We know what anger does to families. We know the wrong thing, the wrong word, the wrong action with the wrong motivation is very hurtful and the scars run deep. I wonder too about the shame, about the petty pursuit from the military standpoint. What do you think these 3,000 guys are laying around camp thinking about? What are we doing chasing this kid around in the woods? Why is this kid so important and why is he a threat to this king? What is the deal here? How shameful that must have been for Saul to look across a group of people and see them talking behind his back and how foolish this pursuit was. But yet, yet Saul persisted. He knew his weaknesses, but he refused to do anything about them. David's presence and prominence was Saul's pushover. Saul died in shame and opposition to God. What a life this man had. What opportunities of experience that he had been awarded. Not by anything he did or said, but by the grace of God. And he squandered them. And then to just take this one avenue of foolishness, which we listed a whole ton of other ones, but just take this foolishness of anger, displayed him as someone who was laughing. Dualism in our world abounds. We have positive, we have negative, we have light, we have dark, we have hot, we have cold, we have wet, we have dry. But we see truly the dualism of wisdom versus foolishness. Two things are required to overcome foolishness with wisdom. Two things. One, we need a revelation from God. We need to be supernaturally inspired to spark our hearts to move in our lives. The second is that we need to have the revelation of power. We can be wise. And make the right choices. So how do we do this? I'm going to give you five things. And then we'll close. We can overcome foolishness with wisdom by having the right desire. Proverbs 2, 2 through 6. Make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her, that her is wisdom, as silver and search for her as hidden treasure then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom in His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. For wisdom to be accomplished in our lives is that we, we, we need to want it. We need to want to have that in our hearts. Now listen, wisdom is what's going to drive us as Christians going into the future. Foolishness will not. And we live in a prime opportunity to define exactly what a Christian is in American society. Do you know that? 
People are looking to us. Why do we have peace? Why do we proclaim the gospel? Why do we hope in Jesus Christ, a guy who lived 2,000, ago, 2000 years ago, who died on a cross? What is it that we have? It's Him. People are going to want to know two things about Christians. They're going to want to know what we believe and does it work? And you and I have the answer to that. Humanity does not have the answers to the circumstances of heart and experience because we would have answered those things centuries ago. It's not going to be a politician. It's the wind. That's what's going on here. It's not going to be a politician. It's not going to be a philosophy. It's not going to be a personality. It's not going to be a legal system. It's not going to be a court system. It's not going to be a medical system that's going to give us the answers that we're looking for. The answers we look or we're looking for are in Jesus Christ. He said that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one has ever said this. No one's ever proved that He said who He said He was. He's the answer to what we face. So it's foolish for us to look to humanity to the answers. We desire wisdom. We desire stature. We desire spirituality. We desire a sense of significance that will not only last in this life, but on into eternity. We are people of substance. And it comes from the wisdom of God, not the foolishness of mankind. So we as Christians, we're not going to play the fool. We've done that throughout history. We have made statements, we have made stands that have made us red-faced and have backed us up in the stature and the significance of our appearance in the world. We must be careful how we live now. We will be misunderstood. So we have to desire the wisdom. The second... God does some things in our lives that are truly amazing. Now, He makes a request of us. You want wisdom? This is what He says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives him to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. All we have to do is ask. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. We don't have to pay. All we have to do is ask God. And he will give us wisdom. And I love what it says. He will give to all generously and without reproach. He will not chew you out for asking for wisdom. I remember sometimes in our lives where we have parents that will need something from them or want knowledge. And our dad or our mom will say, Didn't I already tell you about that? How come you haven't changed? We've already talked about this. But God doesn't treat us that way. So we need to have the desire. We need to ask God. We need to read the Word of God. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. <clears throat> to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb, a figure, the words of a wise, study God's word. Wisdom comes from reading God's word. Wisdom does not come from coming to a church and listening to me talk for half an hour. Wisdom comes with your practical experience of knowing God's word and applied to your life. <clears throat> the fourth thing 
And so we need to know that God's at work around us. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. We need to understand by faith that God is working in our lives. And lastly, we've got to have a godly friend. Someone who will hold our feet to the floor, give us clarity when we're wondering, who will hold us accountability, uh, to accountability to the, the decisions and the choices that we make. Someone who will come alongside us and say, you know something, what were you thinking? What were you thinking when you did this? Where did you think this was going to go? And this isn't someone who's an enemy. This is someone who's a friend. This is someone who comes alongside, who's genuinely concerned about our welfare. A friend. Proverbs 27:17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So wisdom and foolishness is it's dualistic, if you would. So we must have a desire, we must ask God, we must read the word, we must know that God is at work, and we must have a godly friend. Wisdom and not foolishness will reign. So, in closing, we covered a lot of material today. Was it too much? You know, sometimes I get busy studying and sometimes it just gets away from me. But I think we need to know this stuff. Saul was a man who was driven by his passion. Saul was a man who lived a life of ignorance and pride. Saul was an angry man who did and said some things that were pretty obsessive and just out and out crazy. We need wisdom in our lives now. We need to know how to live and how to act and how to behave and how to think in a world that's vying for our attention and who's trying to tell us all those things from their perspective. We must know God. We must know Him. I don't know why we're living in the time that we are, but God has selected us to live now. So, It's another sermon. I'm just thinking about anger and how it's so manifested in our society. And how we have to watch our heart. Because we've been given everything we need to be successful spiritually. So let's draw close. Let's be patient with each other. Let's be patient with the lost world because they don't know. They're just they're just reactive. They're just they're driven by the flesh, they're driven by influences, they're driven by evil. The world doesn't know what we know. No wonder they're angry. There is no answer. I'll preach another song. Let's all stand. Hey Andy, could you play a little bit of music in that for just a moment? So I think there's a couple of things that we can all agree with as we go to God in prayer. Number, number one is this. God, I don't, I don't want to be foolish. God, I want to know what you know. Teach me how to be wise. To gather truth from your word. To look at my circumstance in life with boldness and courage. To know that you're at work. I want to know wisdom. But I ask for this. Lord, I want you to open your word to me, Lord. 
want to know that your work in my life. God, give me a godly friend. Give me someone to help me stay balanced. Give me a person who will love me when I'm the most unlovable. Give me a person who will stand beside me if I fall. I want wisdom in my life. I want depth in my soul. I want understanding in a time of confusion. I believe that God will honor our prayer as we lift our hearts to So let's pray. Father, we rejoice and we thank you for the time you've given us to be here today to open your word. And Father, we pray today that as we think about foolishness and wisdom, that we would be found leaning and understanding and looking for you. That we would gain the wisdom of this life through your word and through your presence and your influence. We look at this man, Saul, that you give us an illustration, a man who's given to his anger and what that brought to him, ultimately destruction and the loss of his life. Help us to learn from the scriptures. You have painted pictures and illustrations of, of how, you, how you desire to work in our lives and how we can live and make decisions and how our lives can affect so many others and how many times our choices have been far from being. So I thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for this time of worship today. And as we go into different directions, Lord, help us to remember that our lives are ones and you have invested to us great truths and great strengths. So give us this one thing, Lord, that we say all of this about today. Give us this one thing that we can know and we can do, and that's how to see our circumstance through the eyes of wisdom and not... Is the, the periphery, not the props, but to see the depth of the matters that we face before us. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this time. And we bless you in Jesus' name we pray. Well, it's been good to see everybody today. Be careful this week. Come on, and then in. See ya.